You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Well, guys, good good morning. Welcome back. It's great to be back together. A um, couple of weeks off. Do you know, I was just thinking, it's the hardest people it is for the the people who sit on the edge of this community and so there'll be people who aren't here this morning because the last two weeks they think we've just vanished um so if if you know them if you notice they're not here if you have a way to get in touch with them often they're the hardest people to get in touch with them but let them know we're back and that we miss them but it is great to be back together just before we start this morning i just want to mention a couple of things firstly uh, the youth and the youth team last weekend were away at DTI, dreaming the impossible, joining all the youth from all over the country. We'll share a bit more next week. It was phenomenal. Honestly, if some people say, oh, there's no hope left in this country, you go and stand in a room of 1,200-odd young people passionately worshipping Jesus, tell me there's no hope. It's, it's incredible. And um, next week, I'm delighted we've got Zeke, who is part of that core team. He's coming to speak, and it'll be, it'll be a weekend not to miss. He's, there is anointing on him. But um, a sole survivor starts to draw to a close, as we've, we've mentioned before. This year is their last year. The vineyard's been invited to kind of carry on the legacy and to step into to that void, which is incredibly exciting but also a huge step of faith for the movement and um, next year we're going to be asking as many of you as are willing to come and join and be on team and hopefully we'll go and serve and make it happen currently at the minute one of the things they really need is the financial provision and backing to be able to take the risk and we mentioned in the vision series uh, that we did for the building that we intended to give away 15 percent of everything that came in for things that don't directly benefit the church and in the booklet, one of the specific things we mentioned was that we want to give to DTI and the vineyard in their unfolding plans uh, for the youth in this country. And so out of our set-aside funds, we intend to partner with that wider family in the incredible venture by giving £10,800. And I just, yeah, it's amazing. I want to say thank you for the overflow of what you've given. We're able to give an overflow to others. And literally, it was incredible last week. I... I've been going too long, personally, to that event. I don't quite fit the age category. But one of the things I really noticed was there was some of the youth that I recognized from 10 years or so ago, who at the time were right down here, who now are there leading youth groups. And isn't that incredible that the multiplication and the, the investment that can develop in people as they capture something of, of Jesus? And um, our 4-1, our version of a discipleship year were there serving it and that was incredible and I kind of also just wanted to say a few things about 4-1. We're looking at doing it again um, next year, gathering a group of people who want to intentionally give time and energy to pursue more of Jesus and serve and invest in the growth and the development of this church and our desire to serve the city and it's it's an incredible opportunity for discipleship. Also, we really use it as a mechanism for leadership development. We want to invest in people and see them fulfill all that God has put on their lives. So I think it was mentioned earlier, we've got a vision night for that on Tuesday. We'd love you to come and explore if that's something the Lord might stir in you to intentionally consider it. You might feel you've done stuff like that before in other contexts or 
various other things. You know, how could you afford it? How could you drop a day at work to do that kind of thing? All sorts of questions like that. I'd say, honestly, for Steph and I, it was one of the most transformational things we ever did, and it paved a way for many of the things that we currently do now. And so much of our faith and our expression of it now grew out of that season of surrender and allowing the Lord to, to birth something in us. So ultimately, what, what are we trying to do? Well, we're trying to, as we do in every environment, gather groups of people who would intentionally pursue more of Jesus and see ongoing discipleship in their lives. And as a young church plant, it's incredible to have a group of people join us and give time and energy and passion to enable us to pioneer and start new things. And much of that mandate that we have really is for raising leaders and potential leaders, and that's one mechanism we do it through. Um, you may have already seen it. I think it's been buzzing around online, but we just want to show you a real short video from, from this year's group and also celebrate them, the guys that have given time and all that's enabled us to do. We just want to say thank you. But um, here's a little clip of some of what they got up to.
if if nothing else, it's always just a great opportunity to celebrate those guys that did do it. But I think it's an inv invitation to involvement. It's an invitation to take a risk. Some of you will be sat here now and you've never even thought of it. And in fact, even now you're not. And I'd, I'd say just see what the Lord might want to do. Um, that's kind of the journey that I did it. I partly did it just because Steph was doing it. And uh, it's, not, it's not a great, well, it is a great reason, but it's not like the Lord spoke to me more than that, but it, it changed my life. And um, yeah. This, this morning, we want to start a new series called Gifts. Sometimes I think it's so much easier to be a spectator and to, to, to just watch something. And um, that's not really what we're about as a church, as a movement. Um, we we want to be part of activation. We want to activate you. And God isn't looking for superstars with great spiritual prowess. He's looking for simple, everyday, humble people who will humbly and obediently partner with him in his great commission to go and to pray for the sick, to cast out darkness and to literally love the hell out of anybody that is willing to explore or to pursue Jesus. And so on the subject of spiritual gifts, we believe they're for everyone. This isn't just a select fruit. This is for everyone. We don't believe that they're a one-time permanent ability but they're passing touches of the Holy Spirit that are available to all. And they're, they're kind of little expressions of God's grace that he pours out on us. And we're not the owners, you may have noticed, we're not the owners or the operators of the church. He is. This, this is his thing. And we're really just his servants. And Jesus is looking for these humble, obedient servants who will do his will at his discretion, not people who are trying to create like an independent franchise or building a ministry for themselves and so we we treat the gifts of the spirit with a, a tender gentle care and we see them as almost gracelets just impartations of grace that are released by the spirit on all believers particularly for certain times and certain situations and for me it's never quite good enough to say well I believe in something without then actually doing something about it. We have to act on it. We have to step out into that. And my hope is this series is that we'll do just that, that we will stir ourselves as a reminder of what we believe, and then we'll step out and we'll act with it and on it. And we, we want to come to a greater understanding of, of the gifts, and then we want to do something about it. We want to live it out practically among us. And I, I kind of see it as part of my job just to give you a massive prod if I'm honest, um, to help you, to equip you, and to prod you to realize how we're equipped and to actually get on with it. We're, we're an equipping church. We want to equip the saints to do the ministry. And for us to operate as a body means that we come together in any setting, not just this one, but any setting, and we're expectant not only to meet with Jesus ourselves as individuals, but also for each other. As we give it away, he gives us more. So you, we want to come this morning believing that the Holy Spirit isn't just going to meet with you, but he's going to meet with you to give something away to somebody else. And the gifts aren't toys or badges. You know, they're not things to kind of impress others with, but they're gifts. They're gifts to give away. They're tools to bless and to serve others and kingdom tools to love and to encourage each other 
with. And so that's kind of where we're going to go with this little series. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, you'll read about it in, in Acts, many people spoke in tongues. And there were witnesses who accused those guys of being drunk. And um, when the apostles went about demonstrating things that Jesus had told them to do with signs and wonders, there were a number of people that were really fearful of what was going on. Nevertheless, many were healed, many were delivered, and many, many more at that time were added to their number of those that were following Jesus. Now, some of you might have questions about the gifts. Some of you, some of you might have questions about how you've seen them used in, in various settings. Controversy has always surrounded them. There's, there's no difference to what we see in New Testament times. I don't think it helps that at many times I would say I've seen them, I've seen them abused. I've seen them where they have become trophies and they have become badges. And in Paul's first letter to the, to the Corinthians, he addresses, among many other things, some of the issues surrounding the gifts. And chapter 12 and 14, two of the most prominent um, passages on, on the gifts in the New Testament, are sandwiched right between chapter 13, where Paul predominantly talks about love. I think the context for the gifts is really clear. It's love. Without love, the gifts are of no value whatsoever. So the gifts are mentioned in a, in a few different places in the Bible, and we could look at them and divide them up in various different ways. You could say they're manifestations of the Spirit, there's ministries of the Spirit, there's gifts of grace, there's certain ones to really equip us, and then you could put them in other categories. What, what I'd want to say is we're not going to look at them all, and we're not going to look at them all of the passage that covers them, and we're not going to look at them in detail. I think one of the interesting ways that you could divide them up is that there are certain ones that really promote inner growth in the life of the church. The one, you know, the ones that talk about apostles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, teaching, the word, and wisdom, knowledge, helping, and administration, things like that for the inner growth of the church. And then there's a clear grouping that promote the church's outer development, reaching out and investing in the wider people and city, things like faith and miracles and, and healing, interpretation, things like that. We're probably going to do a little bit of both. Rather than solely landing on one particular passage, I want to try and more broadly use this as an, an equipping series. And um, ultimately, we need to be equipped, equipped for both of those two things. One, to live as a community, but then secondly, to let that leak out uh, to welcome others in and to the world around us. But predominantly, if you hear nothing else this morning, it's almost land on these. These are just an expression of God's grace. They're not ours to own. They're not ours at all. They're just his. And he sprinkles them upon us. They're, they're for him and for his work. And I would say they're developed in a climate of willingness and risk-taking and a willingness almost to, to potentially fail. And so they, they don't come to us in, like a, in an academic setting, in a, you know, like a research setting. They, they're given by the grace of God as we take risk and a willingness to step out. And so to, to fully see this come into being and to come to pass, we're going to have to do just that. We're going to have to take risks and we're going to have to step out. 
be, before I really jump in, for those of you that are already thinking, well, this, this one's not for me, I don't have any of those potential gifts you're going to talk about. This, this is for others. I kind of just want to stop you there, if I can, and say, don't say that. This is for all of us. They aren't trophies. They aren't prizes. They're not given for, you know, you've put out chairs for two years, therefore you get this, like, long, faithful service, whatever it might be. You, you, you can't, we can't stand back and say, I've got nothing to contribute. We, we should be saying, Father, whatever's pleasing to you, pour out more of your grace. Matthew seven eleven. how much more will your heavenly Father good, give good gifts to those who ask him? We've got to seek more of the Father among us and the gifts that he sprinkles upon us. That's, that's my prayer for us as we go into this little series is, Father, whatever's pleasing to you, growers, shapers, challengers, encouragers, stretchers, put us environments where we would be willing to step out and take risks and flourish in those environments. And the, the church or the small group, whatever setting that might be, often the small group, I'd say, actually, is one of the best places to learn to use them, to grow and develop and work out how they might be used, not just in the church, but out there in the world to glorify God and to extend his kingdom. These aren't just things for when we come together. These are tools to extend his kingdom and his reign and rule in whatever setting we are. So as we, as we jump in a little bit today, I specifically want to talk about um, prophecy. And I think even the word prophecy for some of you may put you off for a variety of reasons, including bad experiences and feelings of inadequacy. Oh, someone once said this to me, and it was, it was actually quite painful. You know, oh, the way they said that to me. Or, or that feeling of, I don't really hear from God. I could list off the people who think they hear from God, but I don't, I don't hear from God. You know, if, 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 if you feel you don't hear from God, I, I believe you do. But also, I pray the thing that you hear today is almost the words of that song. He is a good, good father. He is a good father. Let him speak that over you. You are loved by him. If you hear nothing else, I think he'd want to drop that on you this morning. But what, what is prophecy? Essentially, prophecy is, is the phrase or the way we use it is hearing from God, but not just for ourselves. It's for the benefit and for the blessing of others, really for the encouragement, for the strengthening and the, the comforting. That's how Corinthians talks about it. It says, the one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them and comforts them. Now, I'd say if it doesn't fit into those three words, those three parameters, don't bring it. Because I don't think it's always that helpful because it's supposed to strengthen and encourage and to comfort. Because the gifts that are given are supposed to build us up. They're supposed to edify us. So I long that whenever we come together like this, we're in environments where exactly that happens. We're strengthened, we're encouraged, and we're comforted. Imagine today, actually I kind of really did see this, particularly among the team time this morning and the kids were having a similar experience. You walk in and people go out of their way to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to comfort you. That's what happens when the Spirit of God falls on us, and that's the environment that we find ourselves. And 
Who doesn't want to be in an environment like that? Therefore, to create it and to be it, as much as we, the Spirit falls on us, we've got to partner with him. We've got to step into it and step out in taking risks as we partner. So let's just anchor a little bit of this thinking around one of the passages that talks about the gifts. I'm going to read Romans 12. And starting in verse 6, it says this. It says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. I love that passage and the way it explains it because the emphasis is kind of some of what I've already said. It's, it's his grace. These, these are just, I don't think it's even a proper word, but they're just gracelets. They're just these sprinklings of what he does. In his grace, it says, God gives us different gifts. It's, it's him, and he gives them. So we can't take ownership for that or think it's us. It's really just him. And the final part of the passage again I think emphasizes what I've already said the basis of this is love this should be in love and out of love that we practice and we step out in the gifts it says don't pretend to love others really love them hate what is wrong hold tightly to what is good love each other with genuine affection and take great delight in honoring each other who wouldn't want to be in an environment where that's lived out I just want to draw out a couple of points this morning in the time we've got together based on prophecy. And the, the first one really is this, chase Jesus. You know, sometimes I, I see people chase a fresh understanding of the voice of God for their life, for their purpose, for what they're supposed to do, for how they're supposed to live. And I, I'd say, I, I've... I think sometimes that can distract us from the fact that he's, we've already received everything we need. Uh, but we get caught in the trap of just chasing a specific word that at some point is going to come. We have to then have that need met and it sends us on an unending journey and quest that can leave us quite frustrated when it doesn't come or we can bounce or lurch from one thing to another for that desire to be on that mountaintop experience where that person is going to give us a word. I think it's exactly the same thing happens for, for purpose. What's my purpose? I think we already know our purpose to live for Christ, his church and his cause. Obviously, there's, there's more specific things for us that can flow from that. But I think it's the same with prophecy. We become fixated on this need for a word. And at worst, I've seen it really trap people and wrap them up in knots. And, you know, it, I've, I've seen it where it's almost like I don't know which supermarket to go to because God hasn't told me yet which one to go to. And, you know, I've narrowed it down to two, but which one is it? And I'm like, hey, go, go and buy some food. 
<laughs> don't, don't get caught up in that. So with, with prophecy, I think we can get fixated on chasing a word. And yet he's already given us so many words that we could listen to and would do well to press into. He's given us a unique book that claims to be the word of God, a book that has remarkable revelation from God for his people. We have this special revelation revealed from God. Why has God given us this special revelation? Well, God has given us a tremendous amount of knowledge about himself and humanity and salvation and the way that he wants us to live and how we can know him and how we can know ourselves, but ultimately how we can find and know salvation and how then we can live together. God's special revelation, his word recorded in the Bible, is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for revealing God and his way and his path to eternal life as well as been sufficient for leading and guiding us into the fullness of the life that he has for us. Paul, when he writes to Timothy, he says this, 2 Timothy 3, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has made himself and the way of salvation, the, the, the life of following him, known to us through that specific revelation. None of us should be left guessing about who God is when we read the Bible. None of us could claim, if we've read it, that we don't know the way of salvation. God's given us that revelation that encourages us and uncovers for us how he wants us to live, who we are, and how we find that fullness in him. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing souls and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart the the bible is god's voice speaking to us it's, it's not just a collection of dead words on a page it's living and it can show us what god is really like and we do well to to pay attention to that and allow that to speak into our lives through the words that he spoke many years ago it's, it's the most quoted, most published, most translated, most influential book in the history of mankind. And we can trust the word of God that we read is inspired by the Holy Spirit and handed down and preserved by a people chosen by him to revere him and pass it on to us. So I realize I'm supposed to be talking about prophecy and what he might say to us now. I don't want to stray from that but what I do want to say is rather than just chase a word and hang off that hang off what we've already got press in for more of that read the best thing we could do is read more of our Bibles words can guide us but I think often they just confirm what is already there or is already stirring I'm not trying to lessen our desire at all to hear from God of course we want to but I just want to highlight, press in to reading 
our Bibles. John 10 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We need to know the voice of God. We need to follow him because we know what he might be saying to us. You know, I want to listen to his voice. I want to do what he says. I want to learn from that voice, not just for myself, but also for others. I'm not trying to take away from that in any way. I'd also just want to say there's no special access. I think sometimes we can fall into that trap. So only certain people can hear from God. Oh, I've seen them hear from God, but it never really happens to me. You know, 1 Corinthians 9 says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. It's just part. We only hear in part, we only see in part, as much of that part we can see, I want to see. As much of that part that we can hear, I want to hear it. The way I often see it, it's like almost overhearing a conversation in a crowded room. You don't get the full picture, but you latch onto the conversation. What you did hear, you want to hear more. I want to attune my ear to the voice of the Father, but I'm also aware I'm just overhearing a conversation in a crowded room. So if the, if the first thing really is we've got to chase Jesus, don't just hang off a word, chase Jesus. The, the second thing is, I think when we do then hear it, we offer it gently. And um, Steph and I were away with some of the others at DTI last weekend, and we stayed in a motorhome, which is great. For the poor people camping in the cold, I was in a motorhome, sorry about that. But the, the water tank on this motor, uh, the other people didn't have a water tank, so sorry about that, but the water tank was only 12 liters, um, which isn't a lot. So you ran out of water really quickly and you had to fill it up quite a lot. So each day we'd drive to where the tap was, I know it's a little bit lazy, but then we'd fill it up and then drive back. And it was much easier to do that than part where the tap was because it was in the middle of nowhere or spend half your day connecting up massive lengths of hose to get to, to where we were. So anyway, one evening we've run out of water and we needed to fill up. Now, the problem was we were quite settled in by then. So we've got stuff all over the motorhome and um, all of the washing up needed doing because we didn't have a dishwasher. <laughs> Um, so, so like, obviously, um, someone did knock on and say, can I use the microwave? I was like, I don't have a microwave. But anyway, all, all the washing up is like precariously stacked in this thing. And I, I said to Steph, we, we, we need to fill up with water. And she's like, well, we need to do the washing up first. Um, because if we drive, everything's going to fall and it's going to smash. Now, you've got to see in that moment the dilemma that I'm having. So realizing that me suggesting that my slow and steady driving to the tap wasn't going to be enough to convince Steph this was a good idea, I, I became ever convinced and fixated on the fact that I just wanted to drive to the tap and that was a good idea despite all the obstacles that were in the way. So I said to Steph, I guarantee you which is really big, brave words. I said, I guarantee you not one thing is going to move when I drive. And um, bearing in mind, we're going over like untarmacked, potholy land and then over this big grass, bobbly field thing. I said, I guarantee you not one thing will move. And in fact, I was so confident not one thing would move. I said, for everything that does move and potentially smash, I will give you five pounds for everything that falls off the side. Now, you've got to bear in mind, in my head, I've got two things going in my mind. Firstly, nothing is going to move. 
I was so confident of my ability to drive slowly and steady, and that was kind of end of. But the second thing in my mind is, we've been married for 13 years, maybe 13, is it 14? And, and, and I was like, we, we have a joint bank account. So no money is actually going to transfer between us, even if I'm wrong, but I'm not wrong, and I'm convinced of the fact that I'm right. So the short story is, we got the water. The other side of the story is, it cost me £45. <laughs> and, um, and also, money did transfer between us, which I didn't see coming. But what I, what I want to say is, you know, sometimes we can think we're right, I do that quite regularly, when we're not. And not only that, sometimes the way we go about it can seem such a good idea when it isn't. And with prophecy, I think we've got to really remember that. We can land on this, I, am, I have heard from God and this is for you. And yet the first mindset the Bible encourages us to have is love and the motivation and the context in which we bring it. Don't just pretend to love each other, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take great delight in honoring each other. Now, part of the context of that as well is we only hear in part. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete. Even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. I think that alone should change the manner and the style in which we approach sharing what we believe the Lord might be saying, especially if the goal is love and that it's to strengthen, encourage, and comfort others. So the way we approach it is far less, hear ye, hear ye, I have heard the word of the Lord for you, and it is going to transform your entire life immediately. Far less that, in fact, not at all that, to much more, hey, I might be wrong. I hear in part, please weigh this, but I, I just have a sense. And then whatever we offer is given and shared in love. From that place and that mindset, I think we're freer and we're equipped to take a risk and to step out in faith. That's a, a much easier way to approach it, I believe. And also it offers the other person complete freedom to weigh it and actually to potentially completely bin it because we're not always right. We hear in part, we see in part. So we chase Jesus, we offer what we may try and hear as a, just a conversation we're trying to catch in a room as gently as we can for the, both the person giving it and receiving it. And then all of this, I would say, needs discernment. It really needs discernment. Have, have you ever thought about, maybe I'm the only, per, only person in the world who has thought this, but have you ever thought about why normally a pizza is round? That's kind of how my mind works. I think about things like that. So the, the majority of pizzas that you buy are round. Have you ever thought about that? Well, you then take a round pizza, you stick it in a square box, and then you eat it when it's cut into triangles. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm like, hang on a minute. Um, it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? I actually genuinely hope most of you have not thought about it. Um, this week was a big week in the world of football, so I didn't spend that long thinking about it. But, but I'm guessing, and I don't know because I'm not going to spend any time researching it, I'm guessing it is easier to form the shape of a pizza to be round. I'm guessing 
a square box is more structurally sound and easier to create and it's cut into triangles because it's round it's probably the easiest way to divide something up equally that's just a guess I'm not going to get too lost in it I really hope you're not but um, sometimes you've really got to think about something but you just take it as a given and I think we can do that with words we can latch onto a word without ever really thinking about it just because somebody said it and they've given it in a sense of, oh, this is a prophetic word, doesn't mean it's the right word. Doesn't mean, actually, it might be them stepping out, but it doesn't mean in any way it's applicable for you. It needs a degree of discernment. We're all people that want to hear and learn to hear the voice of God and to share it with others. I hope that's a given, but we all hear in part. And it's as we learn and as we grow, we probably increase in our ability to discern it in a way that is helpful, but it takes time. Let, let me just explain what I mean. If a person came up to me and said, Paul, honestly, I just, I just sense the Lord is saying to you that you and your family are called to Australia. How, how do I filter that? Well, I, instantly I go, well, yes, yeah, sun, barbecues, <laughs> beach I'm like maybe this is the Lord but that's that's not the filter the, the filter is well, what's the Lord already been saying and stirring now, that doesn't fit anywhere into any context or framework of what I believe the Lord might be stirring within us does does it resonate not at all apart from like the the beach and the barbecue bit but it's not already a lean or a stirring that is anywhere in our hearts it's just not there so the, the first question is really does it resonate no the, the second question is would our leaders see it would they see that on us and you'd, you'd want to weigh a word any word that's given alongside others that love you and know you and I tell you a word like that I wouldn't even take it anywhere else I wouldn't bring it to anybody because it's, it's too left field it's not who we are and it's not where we're going and the final question I'd ask, aside from obviously is it biblical and also I think sometimes you want to have a measure of the person that is, is saying it. The final one I'd ask is, does it speak into what is already prophetically stirring? And if, if we'd had 35 words from people, all of whom we didn't know any of them, and they were finding us in contexts and places that just the Lord seemed to be stirring it, I would definitely listen more closely. But as a one-off random word, I'd write it down because I'd write all of them down because you often want to look back. But I wouldn't give it much more weight than that. Now, I realize I'm talking broadly. I'm talking about something hypothetical. But I just wanted to give a steer because we want to be practical about this in equipping ourselves to hear and listen and respond. When, when prophecy is of God, there's usually consensus. You don't have to convince others that maybe it's the Lord that is speaking. There is a consensus among people. When it's of the flesh, I would say normally everybody knows it. Share it with some key people around you and they would sense that, apart from often the person who is sharing it. And you've just got to be loving and kind and sensitive about that. But, but ultimately we need to desire this more. We need to long for this among us. Paul says, desire this. Desire to hear from God. 
desire to hear his voice and hear the voice of the Father. 1 Corinthians 14 says, let love be the highest goal. But you should also desire special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Desire this. We've got to desire it. I want to stir a hunger in us this morning. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. We want to cultivate that environment among us and to yearn for more of the presence of God and his voice speaking to us. Now, as I said, my hope is this is really practical. So I just want to share a quick couple of reflections. The, the first one really is love is the motivation. If we let love be the motivation, a lot of the challenges that we face will kind of dissipate. The second one is Corinthians says, this is a gift to eagerly be desired. So my encouragement would be, we need to eagerly desire this. It comes to different people in different ways, and I think it's important you don't go, oh, they hear like God that, and I don't. I think for all of us, it would be slightly different. You know, for some it will be having meditated on the Bible. For some it might be a vision. You see that in Acts 18. For some it was a dream, like in Matthew 2. For some it was a trance or an impression, like in Acts 22. I often, I often sometimes just sense something that can feel a bit left field. But as I entertain the idea, I'm like, I could potentially see this might be right. And then we take a gentle, loving step of faith to offer it. I think I would say it normally happens um, in, in the most helpful way in an atmosphere of praise and adoration. I think we see that in, in Acts 13. And so it should be no surprise that when we come together like this, we will see that kind of thing happen. Prophecy, I'd say, doesn't rant. It's not meant to be like that. The motivation is love. And it's not, therefore, about finding big and profound words it's just about sharing the simple things that we believe the lord is saying to us some people may feel stuff like this on on a level where it almost has like a physical impact on you there may be a sensation around your mouth a dryness a tingling people come to recognize that as oh i think i've had that before maybe the lord is stirring me to share something with someone else. It's not always like that, but it may be helpful for you to realize it can be like that. I think it's helpful to realize we don't always have to share it. You don't have to impose something. Sometimes, actually, it's just stirring something in you. And therefore, the timing of it may not always be right. Sometimes I will go away and I'll reflect on something and I might chat with a few other people about what I'm sensing and then potentially share it with somebody. But I'd always write it down and I'd always write down what is shared to me. And I think reflecting on that can be quite profound. I remember a guy once said to me, I remember, I can see his face now. He said to me, I, I believe you're um, going to be a, a full-time youth worker. And I was in the fire service at the time. And honestly, please never do this. This is like the wrong response. I laughed out loud in, in really, I'm a bit ashamed to say it, but in really quite a mocking way of this guy, <laughs> which what are you on about? And um, anyway, a year later, that was exactly what I was doing. And uh, there, there can be almost a foretelling element to the prophetic, where the Lord, um, the Lord may be stirring something that you can't acknowledge or see at the time, but then when it does start to come 
to fruition, you go, hang on a minute, the Lord has stirred and he's almost settled my heart for what may be coming. And so if you want to speak Australia over us, no, we're not, we're not going anywhere. But anyway, this, this other time I was really wrestling. It was after that word, I was, we were wrestling, words were coming thick and fast, particularly about leaving the fire service. And this guy had a word for me. It's, it's a long story, but the brief version is, I, I see you moving from A to B rapidly, and you're about to move to point C. And um, I was thinking, oh, goodness, actually, with all we're wrestling about, you d I don't know you, you don't know me. That could be just a real stirring of what the Lord is trying to speak to us about. I was thinking about leaving the fire service and going to train to do this youth work and theology thing. And there's no way he could have known it. And so that was kind of helpful just to have in the mix of discerning and processing that alongside others who were speaking into our lives. Then he said to me, he said, I know this sounds really strange and it makes no sense to me whatsoever, but it's like you're going from A to B in a fire engine and then when you get to point C, the fire engine's not there. And, and I was, it was one of those moments where you're like, what have, what have you just said? The impact of that was phenomenal. He took, I would say, a huge risk to say that, that he could have failed, he could have looked a bit stupid. It was like that, to him, meant absolutely nothing. But how powerful for me, but then also how powerful for him on knowing and how faith-stirring and faith-rising the impact it would go on to have. And so I would say it's a risk. It's a risk to listen and it's a risk to respond to some of the whispers, to hear them, and then to weigh them and to offer them in a loving, encouraging, comforting, and strengthening way. It's often an act of faith. As you step out, I think more comes. Initially, you may have a few words, just a slight sense, but it's kind of like a cork on a bottle. Once you remove the cork, often as you start speaking it, sometimes more can flow and more can come. I would say within that context, though, we just always try and be brief. Say what you hear. Often it gets a bit complicated when we think that isn't profound and we need to add our stance and our interpretation to it. I think with that guy with the whole no fire engine thing, he just said what he felt God say. He didn't add to it. He could have gone all off round in circles with that. I think there's a danger and a temptation to add our words and a fleshly sense to it. If both those who exercise the gift of prophecy and those who receive it make love their aim, I think we're in more of a conductive climate for the, for the gift to emerge and the gift to really flourish. Ultimately, though, wouldn't you say this, that we long, we long to learn and to hear more of the voice of God and to press into his presence, and that's really exactly what we want to do when we talk about and we stir up the gift of prophecy. Why don't we stand? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Thank you.